0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. What would you do if you heard noises in the bathroom, like breathing heavily, erratic, no, I didn't say erotic, I said erratic movements, and moaning? Well, when I emailed this, my guest, my esteemed guest, Paul Mendes of L'Esperance Mendes Law Firm, uh, Strata, and I guess sex lawyer too now, uh, about discussing this case from Nova Scotia, I asked him if he was up for it and he said, absolutely. Welcome to the station. <laughs> good evening. Nice to have you. I'm good. Thanks, Paul. How are you? Excellent. Thanks. Good. And I really appreciate you discussing this subject because- Masturbating at work is not not illegal, and apparently there's more than a few people who do this. That wasn't the issue in the case, mm-hmm. but this was a very interesting case back east. And, and feel free to call us if you have any comments about masturbating at work. If you've ever if if you've ever done it, um, if you think it's okay. I heard somebody say that they would masturbate at a you know at a clothing store, but they may not masturbate at a government agency. Uh, you know, we all have our places, I guess. But um, the Nova Scotia arbitrator said that company was right to fire the uniform member who was masturbating on the job.
1: That's right. So it's an interesting case. The uh, person had... Uh uh, originally been uh, somewhat disciplined for it in 2016. As you said, uh, co- colleagues had come forward and said that uh, this uh, worker was... Ma- uh, they didn't use the term masturbating back in 2016 for some reason. As you said, they called it um, heavy breathing and erratic, <laughs> erratic movements in the bathroom. But uh, rumors uh, persisted in the workplace, and uh, he, he stopped doing it for a while, but then went back to it. And uh, they had even... And not just uh, complaints about his behavior, but also being able to hear uh, pornography playing in the uh, bathroom. And so he was disciplined, uh, and that discipline was firing, and ultimately it was grieved by the union and went all the way uh, to an arbitration. Uh, this case is interesting um, for all employees, in fact. I mean, I, I think we can say that you do have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the bathroom. Uh, no one would disagree with that. But what about when your behavior in that area is no longer private? Uh, in the decision, for example, uh, the the arbitrator comments on how most people— uh, perform uh, their sex acts in private and do not want to be watched or listened to. And certainly most people would prefer not to watch or come upon somebody uh, doing something like that. And this uh, employee, for whatever reason, had some uh, compulsion um, that uh, made that an appropriate place for him to engage in this behavior.
0: And and they tried to say he had a sex addiction.
1: That's right. They did. They didn't have great evidence on that point. And I was surprised to learn that sex addiction wasn't in the, in the DSM. Uh, so um, the evidence was not great. One of the interesting things, uh, obviously, if uh, he did have a sex addiction, he'd have a disability that the employer would need to accommodate because that's what the law is in Canada. If you have a disability, uh, the employer has to accommodate it unless accommodating the disability would be an undue hardship. In his case, If he did have this disability, according to the evidence, it didn't affect his work in any way. Like he performed well on the job. He was always on time. There was no evidence of any problems at home. In fact, in the first time that this problem arose in 2016, the employer asked him, are you having any problems, anything going on that you want to tell us about? And he said no. Uh so that kind of undermined his argument later in twenty eighteen about his sex addiction.
0: Right. Now sex addiction is controversial and it has been in previous editions of the DSM mm-hmm. DSM three maybe. Uh it's it's was ruled out of the DSM-5, about 50% of uh, psychologists uh, or counselors, people in that area, believe that sex addiction exists, and the other half believe that it doesn't. I find in my clinical practice, it's the behaviors that lead up to the sex act, Mm. because even the description of the sex act by those who claim they have a sex addiction is not uh, often it's not even sex. Or two people may uh, end up being together after the arousal and all of the excitement and all of that, and they're both on their phones um, having sex. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's very interesting to hear from people who feel that this has become unmanageable in their life. But I'm in, I was intrigued that they didn't think that he had exhibitionism mm. or, or some form of that. Um, but they obviously didn't contact me about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on this case. So, so uh, do you masturbate at work? Do you dare call into the show and, and let us know if you do? Have you heard other people masturbating in the bathroom stall? Um, so so this guy has lost his mm-hmm. job over this. And
1: by all accounts, a well-paying one. He was a unionized worker in the uh, aerospace industry. Uh, they anonymize his name, but they said he was actually the union president uh, previously. So he's a person who has been knocked down quite a few pegs as a result of this. Uh, Perhaps there is going to be some judicial review of this uh, opinion, but when you look at the evidence – I think it is correctly decided, Uh, you know, his behavior. He didn't have the evidence of a disability. It was clearly disruptive in the workplace, Uh, you know, it was bothersome uh, to people to go into the washroom and experience that. Um, I don't think it would be too much of a change in his behavior to have made it unnoticeable. You know, if he'd have taken some steps, he probably could have continued doing what he was doing without affecting anybody else.
0: Right. Do you think this gentleman should have been fired? Give us a call one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight, and also um, you know I just I just find this is just so interesting that he, um, as you say, he could have made a couple of changes. That's why I think there must have been something. Um, that was awry here. Yes. Wasn't that something that wasn't quite right? If he didn't have any problems before, he certainly has problems now.
1: Right. And, you know, I was thinking, I'm not a sex therapist, but when I read the decision, I was thinking he was obviously enjoying a little bit of this exhibitionism. I mean, why you, it's impossible to be in a bathroom in a workplace and not notice when somebody walks in. Mm
0: -hmm. You will
1: hear the door, you will hear their activity in there. And this didn't seem to deter them which suggests to me that
0: there was some intentional Behavior here, right? And and a lot of people like to live on the edge. They like that excitement, and and I also think that it would have affected the workplace because you can imagine people started talking, would start Mm -hmm. talking about it, and would start gossiping. And they may have ostracized him or not wanted him to come for lunch, or there may have been some bullying behaviors or some exclusion. That's right. uh, You know, it can really negatively impact an entire workplace. Absolutely. Um, So you think he? uh, Do you think he'll be able? To get another job <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh probably uh, he's going to have to explain why he was let go, uh, and uh, you know depending on how the economy is, people don't you know will really determine how much deep reference checking <laughs> they <Right. do. laughs> if they go um,
0: hard at it or not yeah,
1: and as an employer, you know, I would be reluctant to explain why a person was let go in this circumstance. I mean, it's often best to say very little um you know the telltale sign of someone who's dismissed for cause is they get a reference letter that says this person worked here from this date to that date in this position and that's all it says and sometimes that well, might be the safest thing to say elaborate on in
0: this position <laughs> we could certainly elaborate on that um but but i think if somebody tried they could figure out who this was very easily i think yes. so yes yeah. um but but they may not if he applies for a job uh they may not um go that you know, exactly that, that uh, side yeah. angle. But today, when people are hired, they're checking Facebook, they're mm-hmm. checking Google. The information that you can find out is is surprising, mm-hmm. really, and it definitely can impact whether somebody is going to be hired or not. Um, you know, depending on on what that is. Sometimes you might find things that are beneficial that they didn't even discuss that could be actually beneficial for for the job. But certainly, um, masturbating at work, and we will <laughs> say that word on this program. We're not going to use all of the euphemisms, um, but but it's interesting that he was cited for unusual noises in the yes. past and that were bothersome to other people. And but um, you know, if and he
1: didn't deny doing it either. I mean, that was the other thing. Is he had the facts really weren't in dispute? There, the only thing that was really in dispute was whether um, he was aware that we were talking about masturbating in 2016. That was one of the arguments they made when they first disciplined me in 2016, because they said, you know, heavy breathing and erratic movements. I wasn't sure that we were talking about masturbating, but the arbitrator didn't believe that he felt that they, everyone knew what was going
0: on here. Right. I think the guy probably should have said he had diarrhea <laughs> <laughs> and that was the, uh, that he maybe had irritable bowel syndrome right? or something, but he would yeah. have had to get a doctor to, um, Make that claim as well. It would be
1: hard to explain the porn playing loudly on his phone, though.
0: It, that that would be difficult, absolutely. Would. And here's another issue: you know, viewing porn at work. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I've sent links to some of the hosts here mm-hmm. uh, at Chorus Radio, and they'll say I can't open that up on my computer because the firewalls um, at work. So you know, p- you're paying somebody to work, and right. they're viewing porn and they're masturbating yes. while you're paying them.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a very big concern for employers. So most employers that have networks will have certain types of websites blocked. And there's very good reasons for that. It, and it's not just time wasting that can happen while people are on, surfing the net, but it's also what other co-workers might see. And then what gets shared, which can sometimes create a poisoned atmosphere. You know, if someone uh, shares a video or something that they've seen and everyone's laughing and it can really, really create a little bit of a toxic work environment for people that, uh, you know, or perhaps feel like they're on the butt end of those jokes and things like that.
0: That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, you have to be very careful about who you hire. Mm-hmm. And then in today's world, it's just so easy to be on online, whether it be on porn sites, which 80% are free across the world today, mm-hmm. um, or Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, or, you know, and you're not really paying attention to your job and, and of course, that's addictive too. Mm-hmm. And and maybe there was some addiction to viewing pornography for this gentleman. Maybe it wasn't a sex addiction. Porn addiction kind of falls under. Sex addiction mm-hmm. for those who believe in that, but mm-hmm. um, maybe that was something that he um, couldn't. You know, a lot of women. Uh, he was married. This, mm-hmm. I'm that's not what, sure he is now. That, yeah, that's what the <laughs> evidence said. It yeah. said that he was married. And, yeah, and again, he
1: reported, and like there was no evidence of any problems at home.
0: Right. So yeah. that
1: is interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, we wish him all the best, <laughs> <laughs> Paul. Mendes of Lesperance Mendes. How can people get in touch with you? Should they need a strata lawyer? But we've talked about sex and stratas on this program in the past and smoky issues too. Anyway. (laughs) Well, they're welcome
1: to send me an email at pgm at law law.ca, pgm at lmlaw.ca.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. Uh, talking a little bit about midlife crises. Have you ever had one? I actually saw a friend of mine. <laughs> he's a good looking guy. Super, super guy. Really nice, smart, successful. Uh, he's got it all. And I just noticed that he started to grow his hair. <laughs> I thought... Having a midlife crisis, are we? That was my very first thought. You know, In part because, okay, doesn't matter what my opinion is, but he doesn't look that great. He doesn't look as good as... He did before the start of his midlife crisis. I'm, of course, judging him needlessly, and I could be wrong as well. But it's those kinds of things, some of those behaviors. Maybe it's growing your hair. Maybe it's starting to work out at the gym. Maybe it's getting some fancy bling. Maybe it's starting to get fillers and. And Botox, or buying—you know—the the, the uh, most famous one is uh, the expensive red sports car, and some of those behaviors may be signs that somebody is having a midlife crisis. About It's only about 10% of the, popula- of the population that actually has a legitimate, identifiable midlife crisis, but the process can be incredibly painful for many people, in part because another one of the common behaviors of a midlife crisis is get a mistress or have a guy on the side. Um, so a midlife crisis happens to many men and women. This is not limited to men often between the ages of 35 and 55 and a midlife crisis may actually impact your savings or retirement accounts or your debt. You may go into debt to buy that red sports car. Um, you know, and so it can be a very difficult time, but but oftentimes this is why I really promote great health, which is sleeping, eating properly, limited amount of alcohol, no sub, uh, no other substances. Um, you know, having great sex, uh, having just leave, living a great life being able to say no, having confidence. Have you seen Amy Schumer's movie, I Feel Pretty? It's awesome. You have to see it because it actually underscores just how important having confidence is in terms of your success. But between those ages of even 30, not 35, but even 30 and and say 50, people are busy. They are just, they are on the treadmill and, you know, they may be dealing with ex-husbands or ex-wives and um, children and jobs and um, financial issues and parents and in-laws. Laws and workplace bullying, and you know, so many issues that can occur. And so, somebody may actually be incredibly unhealthy leading up to their little midlife crisis. So, it's always better to go into a midlife crisis being healthy, uh, because then you can handle it. Most people manage to work their way through a midlife crisis without too much trouble. But oftentimes, many struggle to find balance in their life again. And again, if you're just tuning in now, I was talking a little bit about finding balance and reflecting. And I think a really good way to find balance is to learn how to live life fast and learn how to live it slow. And so that's kind of the balance. That concept of the passing of youth pertains to many people struggling with these feelings on a daily basis. So what is a midlife crisis? It was actually introduced by Elliot Jacques in 1965 and it's been used extensively by Freudian psychologists like Jung. It was described as a normal period during the lifespan when we transition from young people to older adults. A lot of people are having difficulty advancing in age. During this time, adults evaluate their achievements, their goals, their dreams against what they had wished for in the past. And they often look back and they may have regret. And, And they're also looking at what stage they're facing in life. As I said, both men and women can experience a midlife crisis, but they experience these very differently. Men focus a little bit more exclusively on their achievements and their desire to prove their success to others around them women have a tendency to fixate on their physical appearance their sexual attraction and what they can do once their parenting duties have ended maybe it's travel maybe it's uh, meet somebody else uh, maybe they feel like they've raised their children and now they're done and they want somebody new and some and exciting because being with the same person can be boring for for some people so people who spend their lives that dedicated to fulfilling their aspirations and objectives are less likely to have a midlife crisis and so these are the people who stay on it they're hard at it they have a goal they they work on it every single day they may be organized they may be disciplined they typically are very disciplined they typically work out they have a schedule they may schedule budgeting they may schedule schedule food shopping they manage their money well um, you know it's important to manage your money well because then you you know you you know what you have, and especially with so many Canadians and Americans in debt these days, it's really good to know exactly what you're spending. And a great program that I find is incredibly useful is YNAB, and it's dot com. You need a budget com, and it actually has you track what you've spent over the last month or two, and so you can take a look at what you're actually spending. Because I'm sure you're probably spending—I was—you're <laughs> spending more than you think you are. And then when you look at it, you actually have it right in front of you. So other people go through life on autopilot, then they suddenly realize they're getting older, uh, and they feel like they haven't accomplished very much. So this can leave people with a lot of regret. Lots of symptoms of midlife crises, and that's drastic change in ha- trained in habits or mood swings, impulsive decision making. They stop sleeping. They're they're oversleeping or not sleeping enough. They're obsessed with how they look. They disconnect from old friends and replace them with new younger friends. They feel tied down with no chance for change. They have thoughts of death or dying. They might change careers. They might start a, a, a new business. They might decide to be an entrepreneur. They may leave a spouse or start to have an affair. And they may actually have bouts of depression and may They consume more alcohol. They might be listless and they might blame others. Anyway, more on that later in the next segment. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. So we were talking a little bit about midlife crises, but also what about when uh, somebody has major problems in life, uh, they may lose their job, they may have an illness in the family, they may have financial problems, they may not take care of themselves, they may be smoking, not exercising, feel like they have to do it all. Well, I'm delighted to have Dr. Kathy Zaglinski join me on the line. She is a 29-year career family and sports medicine physician. She's directed and owned a clinic in Whistler, British, British Columbia. So she's an elite athlete herself, and she is going to talk to us about empowered med. Good evening, Dr. Zaglinski. Good evening, Maureen, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you for joining me on the program. I think this is a really important subject, especially these days where people are living on autopilot. They're uh, leveraging uh, their finances quite a bit. They're trying to give everything to their children. They're working hard, sometimes two and three jobs to afford houses, perhaps. Uh, Maybe they're unemployed. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Maybe their health is suffering or they're not living healthy ways because they just don't know, as you say... There may be a disconnect between knowledge and action because people often default to what they learned in what habits they learned in childhood, even if they know better. So, tell me a little bit about Empowered Med and how this can change people's lives and their health.
2: Well, Empowered Med has been my brainchild. I've been a physician working from with people all the way from different socioeconomic classes, from people on native reserves, right up to the elite power brokers, uh, the CEOs of companies, Olympic athletes. But at the bottom line, we all are in a body and we all want robust health. And the big thing that has a disconnect for me is that often it's become so complicated when we try to bring it back to the simple principles. And I think I, I look at it as a triangle of health. And that triangle is that food is medicine, exercise is medicine, and disconnecting in a digital world is medicine. And the combination of these three sides creates a a unique and new way of being. And one without the other just does not create health.
0: Now, how about that person who... Is living an unhealthy life. Maybe they are self medicating because their life is just too unbearable. They, uh, to, to deal with the pain or to deal with, put one, foot forward in front of the other. Maybe they're fine. They're, they're, they're working, but they are smoking. They aren't eating healthy. They're not exercising. And then trouble comes along their way where they may be having relationship problems uh, or problems at work. And they have, a you know, a two or three kids and maybe they have an ex- Wife or an ex husband uh, that's problematic, or there's conflict there, how do they actually
2: begin? Where do they begin? Well, one of the things that is changing is the scientific knowledge is burgeoning, and there is so much more information that we are what we eat. So, the very first step, and that's why there's been so much, um, you know, excitement about evolving diets and the plant based diets. The first thing I would say is that that is the first premise. And when people change, and the Canada Food Guide 2019, they can Google it, has great information all online. But basically what I would say is two things, and and to bring it back to simple, is rainbow in your plate, or on your plate I should say, but rainbow in your cart. When you check out of the grocery store, do you have a rainbow the plant-based diet is not exclusive. I do not eat a strictly plant-based diet. But you should have a rainbow at every meal, and most of your food should be coming from the outer aisle. And if people start with that, that often just changes things because we're starting to understand at a, at a very different level how our foods are affecting us, and it's not just strictly calories, protein, fats, carbohydrates. There's a number of factors. And so our bodies are fine-tuned if we give them what they need. And that's the first thing. Is is there a connection between um, the gut and
0: emotional health or mental health?
2: Well, you know, there's a lot of talk about the microbiome. And I think some people are are jumping on board, as we tend to do with all of these things. But um, there is a tendency to say physicians know nothing about diet. And that's basically a big misnomer. It's just that we have to have robust scientific evidence to then advise anybody of anything. We are held under a very strict scrutiny to look at scientific evidence. So there are definitely studies on how the gut and the gut permeability is, is um, functioning, but we have to be cautious that we don't just jump on the next bandwagon. So what I would say is that what we're seeing more and more, and we can bring it back to simple, is that when we eat a, a, a healthier diet, our microbiome changes. So we don't have to, you know, confuse the issue but we can start with the basic principles. And what I'm trying to do with Empowered Med is it's not a bricks and mortar business. It's not changing people's health from um, uh, replacing medical advice, but it's giving people the coaching model that I worked out with as an athlete of understanding where you're starting from and where you want to go and understanding it's a progression, it's stepwise, but at every step, When people see positive change, they're exhilarated. It's exhilarating. And the next step seems easier. And people don't even realize when they've gotten to the step of where they started.
0: And I want to mention you are a lifetime athlete in cycling downhill and cross-country skiing. You're a world master mountain bike champion from 2013 and vice champion 2014 and finisher of Women's Tour de France in 1987 as part of the Canadian team. You've podiumed many pro-athlete races here and abroad in the last 10 years. And you're also a provincial champion in downhill skiing in your youth. Uh, And so you're you're a pretty seasoned athlete. And, um, you know, so this is advice is not coming from somebody who doesn't live this, if you will. So I'm curious if the the woman today who is depleted, who is wrecked, if she feels like her life is falling apart, is this is her going back to simple which is as you say food is medicine exercise is medicine and disconnecting in the digital world also medicine is that something that that triangle can apply to her as well somebody who's not sleeping well who may be smoking using substances stressed out having anxiety maybe depression is this a place for them to begin as well, to begin as well
2: well, I, I would give kudos to a colleague of mine, Dr. Leslie Wickles, who's a psychiatrist and through the um, MST, actually has a program of group medical visits um, entitled Food is Medicine, and this is what she's able with just food um, and changes in that regard to have patients who have mental health disorders completely get off medication to, um, to have better quality of life. Um, Along the way, their weight may change in a healthier way, but that's not the focus. The focus is well-being. And that's why I say we have to start with the basic elements. And they're actually not that complicated, but people try to make a buck off of everything. And so there's a keto pill. There's a a special diet. And and the, the first thing I would say is if someone walks into the grocery store tomorrow and says, I need to have colors in my diet, the colors of the rainbow, and starts with that and nothing else, it it makes a huge difference and says stay away from packaged and processed foods we're understanding more and more how our bodies function, but there is medical science to prove all this. This is not out of the sky. This is not invented.
0: I, I agree with you. I get a lot of patients who will come in to me and they'll say, you know, I saw this natural bladder product um, at, a, at a, you know, natural food store. Should I try this? And I say, you know, natural means not tested. You know, there's no evidence to support that that, you know, bladder woes pill is going to work for you. Or, um, you know, they're, they're always looking for, you know, a, a pill in a natural food store that's going to help them lose weight. Or help them with perimenopause symptoms. or um, But as you say, going back to living a healthy life, this triangle of life, and you're actually looking to, or you're planning uh, a retreat, not your typical retreat, but a health, uh, an empowered med
2: retreat. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, one of the things is that so many people are searching for the answer. And I and other people I know in the health uh, care industry. I have an allied health uh, team of uh, people who will be involved: um, uh, dietitian, psychiatrist, um, naturopath, uh, physiotherapist, uh, who's also a meditation expert, um, a educator who's now teaching yoga. But we all walk the talk. Um, all of us have been. Uh, the one is an Ironman uh, competitor multi-time. The other was an Olympic athlete twice over. Everyone is living a lifestyle that they understand those basic principles. But people often think it's so far out of reach, and it's not possible for them. So I'll give you a little story. I had a woman who worked for me. It was a lovely young woman, and she was taking care of my child. And she told me she couldn't ride her bicycle, even though the weather was nice, to my house on a nice trail, it was just too far for her, but for me, it would take about 15 minutes. She went from not riding her bike to t- riding it one way and taking the bus the other way, and she she started to love it so much, she started to detour, and within three months, she was riding for an hour, and she said, I don't understand why it seems so insurmountable. So the first step is always the hardest, and that's why it often means to be with other people it can be in a group setting or joining something like a ride for cancer, but people need to feel supported. And what Empowered Met is with the retreat side of it is we are going to try in Canada, something that has not been done. Um, there are other retreats of this sort. We're going to host the first one in Whistler and then take it abroad. But um Looking with a medical team, not again replacing medical advice. This is for people who want wellness, stress management, diet. So it's not covered by the health plan. Um, but that want an inspiring weekend that reboots and recharges them and gets them started. So our first one is going to be held at the Four Seasons um, in in Whistler because that's where I've spent 20 years of my career, and I have lots of people that that are inspiring for people to to um, come and learn from. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that you don't necessarily need that, but what you need is just understanding the basic principles. It's just too overwhelming, though. You know, you go into the grocery it, store and there's 50 million it, things saying, do this, do that. Exactly.
0: Dr. Kathy Zaglinski. thank you so much for joining me on the program and talking about your triangle of health. It's, it's been a pleasure. Where can people learn more?
2: Um, my website is in production, but we do have a landing page where you can put yourself on the wait list uh, because we've had a lot of uh, interest. And so we're taking a wait list right now. It is empoweredmed.com. Calm.
0: Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I was super excited when I saw that Montreal researchers have created an audible hockey puck for visually impaired players. Joining me on the line is Donovan Tilsley, a, sh- a friend of this station, uh, to talk about uh, the impact of this on the game. Hello, Donovan.
3: Hi, Maureen. How Thanks are for you? Me on the show. I'm, I'm really well. That's great.
0: It's been too long.
3: It has. I think it was like, gosh almost four years ago that I was on the show with
0: you. No, well, we absolutely cannot wait that long for the (laughs) the (laughs) segments. You have a lot to say, a lot to contribute. So what do you think about this uh, team of Montreal University researchers who has developed an audible hockey puck that they say can revolutionize the sport for blind players?
3: Well, you know, I have a few thoughts on this, and when when you asked me uh, to come on end of last week, I immediately contacted um, my uh, friends at uh, Canadian Blind Sports Association, who I've been involved with as an athlete for many years. And I heard back from the president um, of the um, uh, executive director of Canadian uh, Blind Ice Hockey, a fellow by the name of Mike Morrow. And uh, Mike basically said that this uh, prototype has been in testing for a while now. And in fact, they released the first version uh, two or three years ago, and it had a few bugs in it. And 2.0 is coming out um, shortly, um, but they're going to test it in beta test it in two or three months, and it probably won't be ready to be played. uh, in the sport uh, for another year because they want to make sure all the all the bugs are taken out.
0: Of course, but this is a big advancement from the tomato juice cans of yesteryear.
3: Well, yes and no. You know, if if, if this works, um, as, as Mike says, he's he's quietly um, optimistic. Uh, but uh, to be honest, uh, the uh, sport of blind hockey has actually been around since 1972, and there have always been um, these sound-driven pucks that over time have had, uh, they, they make noise, they move a bit slower, uh, they're slightly heavier. But if you if you go onto YouTube, um, they are actually quite functional. Last year was the first annual um, International uh, Blind uh, Hockey uh, World Championships, I believe, in, in Pittsburgh. And if you uh, go on and look at the, the game uh, Canada versus USA, uh, you'll see uh, how well of a, a well-oiled machine this is, despite the pucks being, you know, a bit bulkier and heavier.
0: Right. But one of the issues was when they stop moving, they become silent.
3: That Yes, that is definitely a challenge. And that
0: seems to have been taken care of with this new puck out of Montreal. Is that correct?
3: That, that seems to be the case, that, that once, they're, once they're stationary, they'll continue to make noise uh, so that the hockey players can find them. And so I think in future, not being a hockey expert, I think they would have to stop the game uh, so the ref or whoever could uh, pull out the puck and get it back into play uh, because there's no way for the other team to know where it is.
0: So how important have assistive devices been for you uh, in particular as a blind man uh, playing sport, being able to – I know you're an avid skier –
3: Absolutely, yeah. No, I actually had my last day of the season um, uh, last Sunday. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was a tough call not to go up today, um, but I use uh, walkie talkies for communication with skiing because at a very young age, I realized that i i couldn 't hear my dad um, over the sound of the wind, and that could be dangerous um, for absolutely in other sports like um, um, swimming we 've got the the tapper, which is they are looking at inventing a audio prototype but that's you know hasn 't really moved forward that 's basically for those who don 't know is the person who stands at either end of the pool and uh, gives the swimmer a whack on the head with a foam Q-tip at the end of a stick. Um, so, and, and for other sports, you know, obviously um, auditory uh, cues are involved. But, you know, there's, there, I think there's still a long way to go. Like the one sport I've been investigating into is scuba diving. And wow. at this stage, I've done a lot of research, uh, and there's nothing really in place for a blind person to be underwater and communicating with other people. Right. So, you well, know, we've come a long way, and the puck is definitely a part of it, but uh, we still have a long way to go, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this puck. We in the sure next do. Few
0: Donovan, thank you so much for joining me. We'll get you back on the program soon. Thanks, Maureen.